0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's scripture is from the reading book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection.
0: We're going to continue to engage in the practice of centering prayer. And so, if you'd like to continue to keep your eyes closed, if that's more helpful to you, we're going to practice this prayer that. It works on inhaling slowly and exhaling slowly. And on the inhale, you think, gracious God, and on the exhale,
1: lead us by your spirit. Let us pray.
0: Gracious God, Lead us by your spirit. You are the one who is closer to us than the air we breathe. When we woke up this morning, long before we started thinking about you, you were already thinking about us. And so we pray now as we come into this moment with hope and joy and energy and passion and fear and anger and tiredness and exhaustion and anxiety. As we come into this moment a beautiful mess created in your image and likeness and broken and fractured and fragmented. You see all of it and you see all of us. You move toward us in sacrificial self-giving love and so now we pray that your spirit would lead us by your grace. Teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed and send us out to be your very agents of renewal wherever we go. Pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier this month, you may have noticed the Blue Angels, the Navy demonstration flight team was in town, and I'm always enthralled by the Blue Angels. I've probably seen them more than 50 times in my life in several cities and I'm just enamored by the, the purity of the craft of these pilots and their teams who all work together toward one focus, being the best in the world at what they do. It's phenomenal. And Florence had a family member a long generation ago who was on track to become a Blue Angel, who was on the pathway to be the one Marine pilot in the Blue Angels. And what, we, what I learned through his stories where that those pilots not only have to be at peak physical condition, because they don't use what's called a G-suit, which is a, basically an inflatable strong air bladder that pressurizes when you're undergoing sharp turns at eight times the level of gravity that we normally sustain, because it keeps all the blood in your brain so you don't pass out. They don't use that. They just use core conditioning. Can you imagine? So you have to be physically fit, but you have to be mentally clear. And as her uncle was going through the program, a family member passed away and it immediately disqualified him from moving forward. Nothing had happened to him physically, but because he lost a family member, they said, when your wingtip is 18 inches from the plane next to you and you're going 400 miles per hour through wind, you can only be thinking about one thing, flying that plane with your team. Can't be scattered thinking, can't be anywhere else. You have to be right here, right now you have to be single-minded. You have to have absolute focus because it's life or death. Now, I marvel at that, but I also kind of laugh because it's the opposite of the way that most of us live our lives. We are living 400 miles per hour, 18 inches away from each other, and we're bumping into each other all the time. Cluttered thinking. And part of the cluttered thinking is just from all of the choices that rain down on us all the time. I remember going to South Sudan to visit the hospital that our church in San Francisco had helped build. And when I wasn't in the operating room or at the orphanage or teaching children in the class like I shared last week, I would just find something to do. See a need, fill a need. And I was helping to paint this room. And it was so easy. You just, what color do you want it? Do you want it to be red or white? That's it. At that time, we were doing a remodel on our home, and I came home and I said, well, I'd like the walls to be white. What kind of white? You want it to be smoke white, green white, green white blue, blue white green? Do you want it to be green? Want it to be white with a shade of a hint of, you know, you got it. You want sunset white? You want sunrise white? You want mid-noon white? You want mid-noon in Kansas white? You know, so many options. And you're like, I don't even want to paint my house anymore. Just forget about it. Keep it whatever color it it comes in. Um, It's too much. One uh, article in The Economist, and mind you, this was over 10 years ago. So fast forward and multiply times 10. In The Economist, they wrote, lattes at at the coffee shop. They come in tall, short, skinny, decaf, flavored, iced, spiced, and frappe. Jeans come, pants, they come flared, bootlegged, skinny, cropped, straight, low-rise, bleach-rinsed, dark-washed, or distressed. Moisturizer. Nourishes, lifts, soothes, revitalizes, conditions, firms, refreshes, and rejuvenates. Faces, noses, wrinkles, breasts, and bellies can be remodeled, plumped, or tucked. Teenagers can choose to surf, chat, tweet, zap, or poke, now times a thousand on their Insta tweets and their metagrams, in ways that their parents can barely fathom. Movies and music can be viewed, recorded, downloaded, or streamed on all manner of screens or devices. In many countries, and they just go on and on, they say, while some of these choices have improved our lives, researchers also argue the availability of too many choices causes anxiety, stress, and overload. A 2010 study by researchers at the University of Bristol found that 47% of the people they studied, so about half of the people, felt that Life was more confusing than it was 10 years ago. And that was 2010. Can you think about yourself in 2010? Is life more confusing than it was 10 years ago? In her book, Choice, Renata Salek asks, How is it that this increase in choice, through which we can supposedly customize our lives and make them perfect, leads not to more satisfaction, but rather to greater anxiety and greater feelings of inadequacy and guilt? And in his book, The Paradox of Choice, researcher Barry Schwartz claims we've reached the point where choice no longer liberates but debilitates. It might even be said to tyrannize. The opposite of focus, the opposite of wholeheartedness. And that's just the choices we have from without. Then there's the pressure for the life that you present to the rest of this world, whether it's in person or on social media, this kind of curated public appearance, which once you put it out there, takes energy to keep up. And then there's that inner critic that comes from inside as well and says, you failed in the past, or the future's not going to be as good as you hoped that it would. You might as well give up now. No wonder we're falling apart in one way or another and by the way this is individual but this is societal as well because God cares about your personal individual renewal and God cares about the renewal of the whole world so when Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart which is the beatitude we're looking at today blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God he's talking about the thing we all need and the thing that comes naturally to almost none of us now, we need to unlock this real quick, because it, there are some loaded terms here: "pure in heart." Oftentimes in religious context, the word "purity" is almost always equated with sexuality. You need to be sexually pure. Um, and then "heart" has to do with emotions. And so what it means, you know, you could misread this by saying Jesus really cares that we are all like sexually pure in the way that we feel about things in the world. Of course God cares about your sexuality. God made your sexuality. God loves that about you. So of course God cares about that, but that's not merely what this is talking about. It's talking about a whole lot more. It's talking about wholehearted living. That word pure is to be about one thing, to be integrated. My buddy Chuck DeGroat, who lives in Michigan, um, I just got to visit him last Monday, and he wrote a book called Heartedness," in which he says, the opposite of exhaustion is not rest. I mean, it could include rest, but the opposite of exhaustion is wholeheartedness. To be all about one thing. Now that one thing needs to be noble enough, powerful enough, strong enough, true enough to sustain your life. But to to be integrated. Think about what's the opposite of to be integrated. To be disintegrated. To disintegrate. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are wholehearted for they will see God. So the question is, is it possible to go through this life fast-paced, everything coming at you, and not become more scattered and more disintegrated, but to become focused, wholehearted, present, and fully alive. And Jesus would say, yes. So let's consider what it looks like on the path of purity. We're gonna use this word purity, but you're gonna to have to overwrite some files in your hard drive here. here whole, the, the word that he's using is talking about being wholehearted. The path of purity, The point of purity and the picture of purity. First, how do you do it? The path of purity. And this is is critical. This is not a conditional statement where God says, if you are pure of heart, then you will see God. Just like last week's beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, receive mercy. It's not conditional, it's correlative. So what I mean by that is, let's take last week. It's not only if you're merciful to others, then God can be merciful to you. God is not beholden to any other conditions. God can be merciful to you if God wants to. And guess what? God wants to. So blessed are the merciful because you will actually experience the mercy of God. Or another way to say it, and this is when I was trying to show you with the binoculars and looking through it the right way, when you realize how much grace and mercy God has toward you, then you have a never-ending well of mercy resources to give to other people. You see that? In the same way. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God, but it works the other way just as well and maybe even better. As you see how God can put you together, as you see how God can restore this world, as you see how God is moving toward you, then you can become pure in heart and wholehearted even more. The path of purity is that it has to be received from God. God has to break through. We see this starkly in one of the classic texts in one of kind of the all-stars of all time prophets of the Old Testament named Isaiah. Isaiah, the the role of the prophet was to speak the word of God to the people of God. I mean, what a high and lofty calling. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 6, where he recounts his calling into that vocation. I'll read it for you, then we'll break it down. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, a lot of this is prophetic, symbolic language, so hold on to it. Don't pick it, don't pick it apart yet. Get the big picture. Seraphs, angels, "...were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost." For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the angels flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The angel touched my mouth, and with it said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. What is this telling us? So in Isaiah chapter 6, the vision of the high and lofty one of whatever it looks like for God to be in control room of the universe is that those who would know, the angels, can say nothing but holy, holy, holy. Or the Hebrew word really means separate or other. So they're just saying you are uniquely unlike anything else in all creation because you are the creator. You are so perfect, you are so superlative, you are so absent of anything tainted or distorted. When you realize that is the God of the universe who says, I give you access to me, you will never be the same. At my sister's wedding on Friday, I had the honor of giving the blessing before the meal. And so as we're at the cocktail hour before, somebody came up and said, so pastor, are you ready to give the blessing? And I said something kind of lighthearted and cavalier, like, well, if you stay ready, you don't gotta get ready or something like that. I may or may not have added, the lion does not stretch before he chases the gazelle, but whatever. <laughs> and then a more serious thought struck me. I mean, what's the, what's the role of praying at a wedding in, on a cosmic level? To come before the God that we just heard described, holy, 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 on behalf of everybody gathered. So that group right there, as much as I love them and wanna do a good job, is the least of my worries. <laughs> Considering who I'm about to address. When you stop and think about who you are praying for when you're driving down, or who you are addressing when you pray, when you're driving down the street, when you're praying in the shower, when you're asking for help, when you're confessing your sins, it will make you tremble to your core. And this is an experience that Isaiah is having. You can never treat him in the same way. See, God being holy or God being other might seem like a primitive idea to you. So Someone right now is saying, oh my gosh, this church, like Bronze Age, cosmology and worldview, give me a break, holy, purity, come on now. But let me just suggest to you, this is the God that you yearn for and that you need. You worry because you forget that God's wisdom is holy wisdom and you can trust it. You get bitter and angry and vengeful Because you forget that God's justice is holy and God is in control. You get impatient because you forget that God's timing is holy. And even though you know not what is happening in this chapter of your life, you could trust a good God with this chapter. And what happens to Isaiah in the midst of all this? holy, holy, holy. He's in the presence of greatness. And what's the first thing he says? Woe is me. I'm coming undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why do you think he said I'm a man of unclean lips? Not a man of unclean eyes because of the things I've seen or ears because of the things I've heard or hands because of the things I've done. I'm a man of unclean lips. Think about it. Isaiah is a prophet. His job is to, he is a public speaker. He's a communicator. He's a preacher. So his lips are what an arm is to a pitcher in baseball or what legs are to a runner. It's the tool of his trade. It's the means of his craft. It's the thing everyone congratulates him for. When you speak, we all listen. You have magic lips when you speak. You're so great at it. And he's saying, the best part about me, the thing I'm most proud of, the thing everybody gives me an attaboy for, that is unclean compared to the holiness of God. There's nothing comparable. It's his pride and joy. He's coming apart at the seams because he realizes his pride and joy are even in need of healing and cleansing. Even good things. Whatever it is you're looking to to be the glue that holds you together, you have to see its inadequacy at some point. I mean, think of, what is the glue that holds you together? What's the thing that tells you, you will be okay? Is it your intelligence? Your attractiveness? Your career? Pleasing your parents? Your kids? Your desire for kids? Your desire to have other kids? Your savvy? Your bank account? What is it? These are all good things but they make a poor savior. They're not a strong enough glue to hold your life together. But a vision of God's purity will do that. It right sizes things. But why at that moment then, okay, fine. So let's say you have this moment of truth and it's usually not a one-time thing. It's like a one-time thing. Oh my gosh, I realized the things that I've been holding onto to to put my life together are not adequate to do it. And then you like wake up the next morning and you completely forget about that. You keep pursuing the same things ruthlessly and heartlessly or wholeheartedly or however you do it, and it exhausts you. So it's this like conversion experience, but it's a reconversion experience every day. But why, even if you're loosening your grip on these things, why then should you turn to God to entrust your life to God? Why? And here's the reason. Because what does God do to Isaiah when Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm coming undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. The first thing God does is send and angel, angel, the word, the word in the Bible is messenger. Angel always does the work of God, unless it's Lucifer, but that's another story. Angel, what, so just, this is basically, an God. what does God do? Moves straight toward the part of Isaiah that feels the most unclean and heals it. Wow. You say, I do not belong in this room. I do not belong on this team. And God says, that's okay. I will make it so you belong. I am unclean. If you know the things I've said, says Isaiah, God says, don't worry. I will move toward the pain point, the brokenness of your life. And that coal, it says, came from the altar. The altar was the place of sacrifice in their system. And so ironically and beautifully, from the place of sacrifice comes not condemnation but mercy. And Isaiah could only see dimly what we can say now on this side of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, that instead of condemnation from the place of sacrifice, we get mercy. This is why you can trust him. But What's the point of it? And like I said, the point is to become wholehearted, to become integrated, Isaiah becomes a person who is unmixed, which is what this whole text gets at. He experiences the ultimate and it ultimately transforms him. You know, a near-death experience will do that to you. <clears throat> when I was 13, so I grew up in Ocean Beach. Ocean Beach is where Highway 8 just dead ends into the ocean. And then you have to turn left and you end up at my house like a minute later. Well, when I was 13, I was having a bike race with my buddy Anthony. Anthony. And it's just whoever gets from the Mission Valley YMCA back to my home first wins. And I knew the fastest way to get back to my home was to cross the end of the freeway. So I did. Well, no, I didn't actually cross the freeway because I got hit by a truck on the way through. Because I'd been timing out cars before on side streets, and I knew how fast they went, and I knew I had plenty of time. I had never timed out a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck or whatever was the predecessor, the T-1000, T-100, whatever. It hit me, and it launched me. And when I woke up, there was... Blood everywhere, and my bike was bent in half. And my first thought was, my mom's going to kill me. <laughs> in fact, the guy said, I don't even know if there were, there weren't cell phones at the time. He, like, sent someone to a pay phone. And he said, the ambulance is on the way. I said, sir, actually, I think I'm okay. I'm just going to go home. He goes, your bike is bent in half, and you're bleeding out of your head. I said, well, I'll be fine. I'll just wait for them. You go ahead and keep going. He goes, I can't leave. That's called a hit and run. I said, well, then I'm leaving. He goes, well, I can't make you stay. So I carried my bike home and got in bed. Long story short, I lived. <laughs> spoiler. And, but something happened in my 13-year-old mind and heart that day that said, no one gets hit by a car on the freeway and walks away from it. Who does that? I should have died today. So every day from here forward is a gift. And I still go back to that when I have big decisions or I'm feeling bad about something. Or, hey, it's a gift that I'm even here right now asking these questions or going through this difficulty. It's all a gift. It changes your life when you come close to something ultimate. Isaiah is having that moment where he's in the presence of God and it changes everything else. And immediately, he has a new purity. Purity of heart. Wholeheartedness. Intentionality. Intentionality. A new seeing altogether. And by the way, we don't have time to get into this, but this is taking place, it says in the first line, in the year King Uzziah died, this is taking place in a time of national unrest for Isaiah and all of his people. The country's coming apart. So when everything is fragmenting out there and everything is fragmenting in here, it's God who begins to put everything back together through God's grace and mercy that flows to him and then as a prophet through him to the rest of the world. Maybe Jesus would say instead of blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, blessed are those who are as clear, who are clear as to what is in the very center of their lives. Yeah, that's one of the things we do every Sunday. We realign, we bring each other back to the true story of this world. I say this every now and then because I need to be reminded, you need to be reminded. Sunday morning worship is not leave the real world out there, leave all your cares and concerns out there and come in here and we're going to do something different that's not the real world so that you can go back out into the real world. I mean, it might feel like that sometime, but at the core what it's doing is leaving The world that is a shadow world. I mean, it's real. It has substance, but it's like opaque. And coming into the real world right here. The real story of who you are, beloved. The real story of your condition. Hungry, thirsty. The real story of what can feed you and nourish you. God's grace. So that you can be blessed and sent back out into the real world. To carry your burdens. To walk with others. To be an agent of grace wherever you go. That's what we do every Sunday. Whether you know it or not. Isaiah starts with holy, holy, holy. It starts with praise, right? That's what we do in the call to worship. And as as Isaiah moves toward, woe is me, I'm coming undone. That's what we do at confession. We confess our brokenness. God immediately answers that call with a gracious, I will will heal you. That's what we hear in the words of, of encouragement. You are forgiven. Thanks be to God. We receive instruction through God's word. We're nourished at God's table. And then just like Isaiah, at the end of the service, it leaves us with, here I am, send me. Let's go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what's happening every Sunday, whether you realize it or not. We're entering into that greater story. So simply there, I just ask you, please continue to come. Bring your friends as we are entering into this bigger story. Some of you right now are going through life muddied or flooded or with an unclear lens and you don't know what's in front of you and you're frantic and you're scattered you know how i know because that's the temptation for me to go through my life that way and it's even worse when you're a pastor because we spiritualize everything. I'm just busy. I'm just, you know, doing the Lord's work, whatever people say these days. I mean, yesterday, or Friday, I went into a cafe. I had no time, but I had a lot to do. So I'm going into this cafe to do some work on this sermon on being wholehearted as a scattered person. And I'm walking through a parking lot, and a guy thought I had parked in the parking lot, and you're not supposed to, and I didn't. But he told me in whatever words he used. And I said, hey, you know, I didn't park in the parking lot. But then I there's a part of me that had to show him how wrong he was to even talk to me about something you know and i'm and i'm walking away (laughs) i think i was on the phone with florence while doing all that no one knows you better than your best friend and your spouse i hope and i just realized like this is not our like this wholehearted stuff integrated all in one place It's not our mother tongue. It's not our natural language. It's not our default operating system. It has to come from somewhere else. And so that's the invitation that God gives to you and me. See how I'm wholeheartedly present to you is what he says. See how I wholeheartedly love you. See how I will never leave you or forsake you. There is no eject button on my relationship with you, says God. I am here forever with you. So you can just relax a bit and be here, too. What's it look like? It has to be internal, not merely external. It's an inside job. I mean, the worst of religion will try to get you to do a bunch of pure things so you can look like you're seeing God. That's exhausting. That's what Jesus railed against. Jesus railed against the people who would only take care of the appearances while letting the inside waste away. He, call, he likened it to being a whitewashed tomb. You're painted on the outside. You're gleaming. And on the inside, you're decaying. It has to be an inside job. And this is why God is committed to your purity. We're running short on time, but I want to leave you with this. There's a place in Malachi, which is one of the other prophets. I mean, you know, doesn't come to mind first for most of us. Isaiah is probably there, that's so why I started with him. But, Isaiah, but Malachi, not bad. And Malachi says, God is like a refiner's fire and God will sit like a refiner and a purifier of silver and God will purify you like gold or like silver. And this is an image that you and I may not be too familiar with, but everyone there would have known. When you purify a precious metal, you heat it up so hot that the impurities separate and they float to the surface. And the purifier then, that's called scum. And the scum would float to the surface and the purifier would skim the scum off the top and they would know it was pure once they could see the reflection in it. And so maybe God is in a process of scumming and skimming your life until God can see God's reflection in your life because you are created in the image of God. That's beautiful when it happens in one life. It's a picture of the kingdom of God when it happens in a community. But here's the thing. God is about scumming and skimming, and it's not always comfortable. We are about hiding. As one friend said, we're about scheming and scamming. (laughs) We see our impurities, and we're just going to cover them and keep them down. There's like a lump under the carpet in the living room, and that's no lump. That's a beanbag chair. Just sit on that. It's like, no, I think there's something under that carpet. Don't worry about it. We swept it under there a long time ago. Everyone else can see it. It's still affecting me, but whatever. And God's saying, I care about you. This is all about love. I care about you. I want you to have a wholehearted existence in this world. So instead of covering or running or hiding, in our book by Mark Scandrett, I love that he, for each of these, he has a, a kind of a couple uh, like actionable items. And he's like, instead of like hiding like this with a mask, he says, what if you just lived your life with like jazz hands where you're just, you, you, you can actually be who you are in front of other people. In our community group this Wednesday, we're gonna go through some of these steps of what it practically looks like to enter into it. But let me just give you the, the highlights first. It looks like telling the truth about yourself. We're terrified to tell the truth about ourselves. Our brothers and sisters in the 12-step programs know about this. One of the steps is um, tell the truth about you know tell the truth about myself um, to myself, admitted the truth to myself, to God, and to one other person. And there are things that you're carrying around and you're carrying them alone, and they're going to hurt you. Now that does not mean that you inappropriately go and share with everybody and all that, because That's not helpful for you or anybody either. It does mean you begin to tell the truth about yourself. You look for one person that you could trust. And if you don't have that person, I'd like to at least pray with you that that person materializes. And I find when you pray, when you're open, when you ask, when you're looking, those, these things happen. I will say my baby step on that way was to tell one-fifth of everything to five different people. So at least five of them think that I'm like one-fifth as heavy, like heavily laden as I am. But the real magic happens when you find one trusted person and you invest everything with them. Tell the truth about yourself. Two, to be wholehearted in your decision making. As Jesus said, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. My sons will say to me, I swear to God I'll do it. I say, well, actually, Jesus said don't swear by God. Let's not do that. But the point is, like, if you say I swear to God or I swear on, you know, my TV or my PS5 or whatever, it shouldn't be any heavier than just saying yes. What if you're a person of integrity and you just did what you said you're going to do? We're going to get it right. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to ask for forgiveness. But what if that was the goal? Number three, practice secrecy. I encourage you this week to have some sort of a practice of goodness, of renewal, tiny one, big one, whatever it is that nobody knows about but you and God. And that unlocks something in your heart because what it does, you know, the, the neuroscientists tell us that the neurons that fire together wire together. So we have worked a lot on creating neuropathways that impress other people. Let's build some neuropathways that do good in this world just to do good. Just because it's part of the whole plan. I had a mentor, this is very simple. 15 years ago, when I was feeling bad about myself, I call him, I tell him, he go, here's what I want you to do. I remember this, I was in San Francisco. Here's what I want you to do. What do you want me to do? I thought he's gonna say, like, journal 10 pages or read this book or whatever. He goes, Go outside right now. Pick up 20 pieces of trash. The only thing is nobody can see you. Call me when you're done. Okay. Weird. I do it. It unlocks something. Gosh dang it, now I told you all. <sighs> I gotta go do it again. Um, it unlocks something to contribute to this world without anybody else knowing. Try it. Do some good, give some money in secrecy to somebody who needs it. Um, do a good deed for a neighbor without them even knowing. Simply for the, for the purity, for the integrity, for the wholeheartedness of the action. It realigns your motives. And then fourth, allow God to see the whole you. And why I end with that, I have to, I can't tell you that to you first, because if I say that first, allow God to see the entirety of who you are, you'll say, oh, no, no, which God are we talking about? Because if this is a God that was like fill in the blank for your experience, if this was a God who was like an absentee father who really never cared much for me, or this is a God who was like an overbearing boss who just pointed out the things I did wrong, or this is a God you will never, and you should never, expose your whole life to a God like that. But when you can see that this is the character of God to move toward your uncleanness, the woe is me, the unclean lips with grace, then you realize that's the healthiest relationship you could ever have. And so you can actually be wholehearted and fully present and fully known. And so instead of hiding from God and from this world, you could be fully known. That's the invitation for us today. And to the degree you see all that, to the degree we see all that, we move toward, here I am, send me, as an agent of that kind of wholeness and wholeheartedness in this world. So Renewed Church, may we drop our masks, may we step into the light, may we choose goodness and walk in the way of right motive. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you meet us in this place, heal us. Convince us of your great love for us and send us out to be agents of your renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in your name. Amen.